Amen. So thankful you're here today. We continue our study of the seven deadly sins. The problem is, uh, on first look, they, they don't look so deadly. They, they look insignificant. They look sort of small. They're, they're ordinary. In our world, we would say almost every one of them, from lust to gluttony to pride, is acceptable and applauded. In fact, one of the books I'm reading in research of this, is, it calls this sinning like a Christian. So these are the sins that come after us. And today we look at one, we look at gluttony. You know, it's fascinating to me as we look at gluttony that in the history of the world, most people have had a hard time getting enough food. We live in a culture and time where we can easily have too much food because it's so easily accessible. It's just there anytime you want it. And we are so obsessed with food. Guess what is the number one network, cable network on TV? It's the Food Channel. And um, listen to this statistic. This, this blew me away. Cookbooks outsell the Bible 10 to 1. And then you think about how accessible it is. I mean, we just grow up knowing any moment I have a hunger pain, I can feel it. One kid was asked the other day, name the four food groups. He said, McDonald's, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, and Pizza Hut. It's just there. One columnist, you've probably heard of him, he's in our paper, William Raspberry did a lecture at a major university not too long ago talking about mankind. He said, I'm going to talk to you about what I believe health-wise is the most detrimental point in human history. What is the worst invention? And you know what he said? It was when humanity learned how to refine sugar. Think about what a game changer that was. Before that point, you had to seek out some honey, or you had to wait for fruit to ripen. You didn't have that sugar rush around you all the time. In fact, when we think about gluttony, gluttony is actually applauded. There's actually a federation called the International Federation of Competitive Eating. There's a long list from donuts to oysters, to um, cow brains, where where they measure how much people can eat in a a given period of time. In fact, you see the picture up here. Anybody remember where that is? Coney Island, Nathan's, coming up on Independence Day. How many hot dogs with the buns can you stuff in your mouth in 10 minutes? You say somebody's up there already at 69. I mean, it's, it's, it's grotesque to me, isn't it, to you, is that they, they, they wet them so they can get them down quicker. And so we tend to celebrate this. And yet the Bible says it's a sin. And let me be very honest. We've neglected to talk about this. I will confess to you, I have never preached a sermon about gluttony before. In fact, it seems to me Christians in the church has given this issue over to doctors and dietitians and infomercial pill pushers. And we've just neglected it. And I think one reason we neglected it is because we're a little bit uncomfortable about that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but, you know, your faces don't look too good this morning as we start talking about this. Because this subject, we, we don't know quite what to make of it. So let me relieve us just for a little bit. By, by telling you some ways that you're, you're not a glutton. You aren't a glutton just because. 
First of all, you aren't a glutton just because you enjoy eating. My, my friends, food is a gift from God. I mean, think about this. Jeremy Swindle was sharing with me in between service. God could have sustained us in a different way than giving us food. Or he could have just given us, you know, just a, a bland meal that sustains us. But he gave us good, tasty food. The Bible, even the prophets, talks about that we are to even enjoy food that is rich fare. So there's, if you enjoy eating, that doesn't mean you're glutton. And, and then if you love feasting. Joe did such a great job around the table talking about all those feasts and, and the, the power of memory surrounding food. I mean, that's not just an Old Testament idea. In the Gospel of Luke, you can outline the Gospel of Luke around the meals that Jesus shared with people. The operative word there for feast and Jesus is shared. Gluttony becomes much more of a problem when I eat alone, often. You see, we understand that almost every major event is marked with food from you know, someone having a birth, and we all take food to their house, to a wedding, and we have a great celebration feast, to the meal at a funeral in this building afterwards. It's a big deal. We understand in our life group ministry that, that actually food is a plus, that it brings people together. It builds those kind of ministries. So you're, you're not a glutton just because every once in a while you like to have a big feast. And you're not a glutton simply because you are overweight. You know, the, the, my, my fear on this sermon is that we all start looking around to figure out who the glutton is. Thank goodness it's a little dark in this service, all right? You might understand now why I wore a coat today, all right? I don't want you looking at my belly. I didn't want to have to suck it in for 30 minutes, all right? <laughs> because I'm telling you, often we judge people that are overweight in a very bad way. My friends, you don't know someone's metabolism. You don't know their body chemistry. You don't know what's going on with their glands. In fact, I think one reason this is such a difficult issue is that we live in a, a culture for the first time in history that's defined that your body proportions need to look like the dolls, Ken and Barbie. And my friends, we have set people up in, in this eating issue for disaster because we think that's the way we're all supposed to look. Some of you can do that. Very few people can do that. And so when we talk about gluttony, honestly, you know, we, we can look at it in two ways. On, on one way, gluttony is an inordinate interest in food. I just care too much about food. That can show up in overeating, but it also can show up in undereating. I mean, do you hear all the people who suffer from anorexia and other under-eating diseases? It's dangerous. Now, here's the odd thing to me. When it comes to someone on this end of the perspective, we normally show compassion. But the person who overeats, we normally show, in our culture, condemnation. My friend, I think today, if you struggle in either end here, that the operative word needs to be compassion. This is not an easy issue. So what does it mean to be a glutton? There's lots of very simple definitions out there. Excessive desire for food. But I ran across one this week that's very lengthy. I normally don't like to, to give lengthy, but this is such a good definition. Uh, see that on the screen with me. You're a glutton if you have an excessive desire for food that leads to overindulgence to the point that you are no longer 
eating just to live, but rather living to eat. Isn't that a crazy good distinction? Eating to live or living to eat. My friends, the distinction is it's okay to feast. The problem is we live in a culture, and many of us have the means that we can feast every day. What what gluttony is is a wonderful God-given desire for enjoyment that has become excessive and out of control. let's, Let's just look for a while what the Bible says about this. Let's look at the only passage in the Bible that actually uses the word gluttony. Proverbs 23. Look in verse 1. He says, when you sit down with a ruler, note well what is before you and put a knife to your throat. This This is the most harsh. If you are given to gluttony, do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. What's he saying? When you sit down with somebody who's trying to wine and dine you, they might be trying to deceive you. They might know the way to you is through your stomach, and they're going to use that. And so he says, you've got to be careful because food is deceptive. Here's my question. Are we courageous enough to look at the kind of food that we eat and say, which of this deceives me that it's really, really good, but it's really destroying my body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, here's what the wise man says. This is rather harsh, but listen to what he says. What he says is, it's better to kill yourself quickly than to kill yourself slowly by overeating. Put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony. Man, that's, that's pretty strong. Now let's look at a couple of passages. The wise man then in the book of Ecclesiastes seeks to give us a balanced view of this, which we need. Over in chapter 2, verse 24, he says, A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink. And find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. So that's one side of this divine balance we need. It's a good thing. It's given from God. But it needs to be appropriate. And here's the other passage. Ecclesiastes 10, 17. Blessed are you, O land, whose king is of noble birth, and whose princes eat at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. He's going back to our definition there. Why are you eating? For strength. Not just for drunkenness or not just for overindulgence. In fact, guys, if, if you read the Bible closely, there are two issues that are, that are linked. Overeating and overdrinking. They're, they're really put together. And so the Bible, let's be clear, condemns gluttony and drunkenness. But I think we struggle with this. Because we do better often if there are great markers and guidelines. If God says, this is how big your portion sizes should be, six ounces, or this is how many meals you should eat, or this is how, or or today, here's your calorie intake for the day. Many of us would really like that, but God doesn't do that. And I I compare that to this issue of alcohol and drunkenness. Many of us grew up in a day in church where they they were a firm line, man. You drink one drop and you're drunk. That's pretty crazy, you know it? I mean, it was just that, that was the line. Now, I'll be honest with you, I miss those days because that was so simple. If you're a Christian, you don't drink. If you do drink, you're not a Christian. That was, but, you know, I can't biblically justify that. 
So, so what God has said to us is on alcohol, what you need to bear is something more challenging, which is wisdom. Be wise in the way you use it. Be wise in where you do it. Be wise if you can handle it or not. That's what the Bible says. And yet, I, I'm telling you, I think on alcohol, we've lost our everlasting mind. We, we've opened the door, and it's just like, man, I, I go and do weddings where it's like, man, we're just going to drink all day long. I go, and I'm, it's, just, it's like we don't know how to use wisdom. I was talking to a college student who lives in another city the other day. He told me this. It sort of shocked me. He thinks I'm wrong about it, but, but let me say how I felt. He had a campus minister call him up and say, I'd like you to take you out this afternoon for coffee or a beer. Again, guys, I don't think that's a right or wrong definitive answer. I'm just telling you, when you read what's going on on college campuses, and you recognize over 50% of people on the average college campus are binge drinking, I think that's a pretty unwise idea. Now, enough about that. That's another subject. The same kind of wisdom has to be applied to food. And that's what makes it difficult for us because there are no strong lines drawn. So we have to pray about it. We have to search about it and seek God's guidance. Let's look at a few more passages. Man, this, is, this one's really convicting to me from Amos chapter 6. God's nation is on the brink of disaster. God is about to send them into exile. I mean, spiritually, the nation's at rock bottom. Nobody's paying attention to God or what's going on. They're on the brink of disaster. And you know why they are? Because they have made pleasure their God. And they're not paying attention to God, and they're not paying attention to what they're doing. Listen to this passage. You lie on beds inlaid with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions. But you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Who's Joseph? That's the people of God. These people have so overindulged themselves in things and pleasure and alcohol and food that they are missing out on God. They're blinded to the reality that they, their families, and their nation is falling apart because they are quenching their thirst with things that are only temporary. They are so preoccupied with living a nice, luxurious life that they're not paying attention to God. My goodness, could that not be America today? Could that not be us? Because here's what I figured out, guys. This is what I think most of our goal is in life. Have fun. <laughs> That's the American's goal. If I can just have enough fun. And so what my goal becomes is can I line up enough fun events? Can we go to Disney World this week and Six Flags next week and the mountains this week and then the next week let's go to the beach? I mean, can I, can I just line my day up, you know, where I can do this and this and this and this? That, that it's just pleasurable. And guys, God is not anti-pleasure. It has its place. It, a break, a good vacation is a good idea. Uh, something that, uh, a, ha- a hobby that you enjoy is a nice thing, but it's a terrible God. And, and so if, if we decide we're going to focus on just lining up all these good things and, and, and we neglect 
our spiritual walk with God or the life in the kingdom of God. That's many of us make excuses about we can't come to church, we can't go to life group, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't read our Bible because we're too busy. I'm telling you guys, we're not too busy, we're just too busy doing the wrong things. Because we just line up these things, and that's what's going on in Amos. And this nation's about to be exiled. Let's go a little deeper. A couple of New Testament passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. This, this puts it so well. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. There's the core issue. It's do these things master us? Do they control us? Do they control our thoughts? You know, if, if we're not careful because we live in a country where we can do this, your whole day can be arranged around meals. And so Paul makes this wisdom point. Okay, guys, come on now. We're not talking about, you know, this, this not being permissible to eat a good meal. We're just saying do not let it gain control of your life. Now, if, if food's not your issue, you just put in the blank what is your issue. What do you tend to turn to when you need satisfaction? You got that blank filled in? God says where it gets dangerous is when you turn, when you're empty, when you're lonely, when you're bored, when you tend to that sport or that habit or that addiction or you name it to fill that void instead of turning to God that's when it becomes dangerous. And one more passage here. Well, this one lays it out pretty plain. Philippians chapter 3. For as I've often told you before, and now I say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Can you imagine with me for a moment? Can you imagine if you and I focused on our relationship with God and living out the kingdom life of God as much as we focus on earthly pleasures. Can you imagine how strong we would be? You see, write this down, guys. This is the root issue. The root issue is we are seeking satisfaction. We eat seeking satisfaction of a deeper need. Guys, food is a great quick fix. It's a great emotional escape. But here's the issue. I'm trying to feed my soul with what ought to feed my body. Jesus put it pretty plainly. Man shall not live by bread alone. It's not enough. And so often we're just trying to stuff something in us so we escape the reality around us. We even have a word for this today. It's a popular word. It's called binge. We talked earlier about people that, that binge drink. There are people that binge eat. There are people who binge watch TV shows. Just say, oh, I'm going to spend all day, man, watching all my seasons of Breaking Bad. Wouldn't that be fun? Because I'm not saying any of these things within themselves, but when, when I'm doing that to fill a void that, that only God can fill, I'm in trouble. So let's close out real quickly with some practical advice how a Christian can eat well, okay? The, the E is enjoy in moderation. It's okay to feast, but it's not okay to feast every day. 
What we do know does not work is yo-yo dieting. It's a person that goes on this crazy diet. They get through it, and they've lost it. Then they go back to eat, then they, and they, just, they live on this yo-yo. Every study's proven that doesn't work. What does work is changing your eating habits and your exercising habits and getting to moderation. For, for instance, in my life forever, my metabolism was high enough, I could basically eat anything I wanted, and I was going to be okay. But there came an age where I had to finally face just exercising wasn't going to take care of things because I've consistently exercised through the years. And it, 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 there came a point where I could exercise as hard as I wanted, and, and the fat would still come. And so now I've had to face the fact I don't really like to face is that not only must I exercise, but I've got to moderate on what I eat. And that's difficult. So enjoy. Man, you have those moments, especially with your family and friends and, and, and brothers and sisters in Christ, where you just enjoy a great, even a big meal together. But keep it in moderation. The, the next key word is accountability. We know almost any issue like this that can master our life we need help to overcome it. And this is one, one of those. Over 50 years ago, there was a, a woman named Jean Nidish in New York City. She was a housewife, stay-at-home mom. She weighed up 200 pounds. And she had tried all kinds of things to try to lose weight. And she just was frustrated, but she, she couldn't. And one day she had a revelation. She went to Central Park, and she's seeing some mothers down there and their kids are on swings, and the mothers are so busy with themselves that the kids are just on the swings, but nothing's going on. And so she finally decided when she went down there with the mothers, her job was going to be to push the swings. And her conclusion to this was, everybody needs a little push in their life to do things right. And so what she did is she called four friends. She asked them to meet weekly in her living room where they would share ideas about how to eat and exercise healthy and help each other lose weight. That's 50 years ago. Weight Watchers has exploded on the scene started by that woman. Why? Because there's a built-in accountability. And so I challenge you, if you're exercising, normally you're going to be more faithful to exercise if you exercise with somebody that you've got to show up and meet. If you're trying to lose the weight, it's better if you do it with somebody. In fact, we have a, a great ABC group here at our building on Wednesday nights. You might know about this. 6.30 over in the gymnasium. This is called Faith and Fitness. That's because here's what you got to see biblically. Your body, your soul, your spirit, your mo- they're all tied together. And, and there's a great thing going on in there. So, enjoy in moderation. Have some accountability. Train your body. That's the T. Because here's the issue here. This takes discipline. And discipline means I am willing to delay gratification of one thing because I want something better. And, and overcoming this issue of food is an issue of delayed gratification because it's so quick and so easy. In fact, here's, here's a tip I read this week. You recognize <clears throat> between the time <coughs> your stomach gets full when you're eating and your brain <coughs> knows that is full, it takes seven minutes. It's seven minutes for your stomach to communicate with your brain, you've eaten enough. So some of us, what would help us is just to slow down, and before we go for seconds, just give a seven-minute pause and let our, our mind know 
to discipline itself. Now, here's the biggest answer biblically to overeating. And it's another thing we don't talk about much. It's fasting. What is fasting? Let me tell you what fasting is. It's refraining from food for the purpose of disciplining my body and leaning to trust in God. When you give up, it, it might be one thing you're trying to give up. You know what I mean? Because you want to master it. Man, I have been addicted to Diet Cokes for at least 15 years. And I, I don't know if you've seen any of the studies, but it says it, it makes you lose your, I can't remember, um, your memory, okay? <laughs> it says in the long run, if you drink too many Diet Cokes, your, your, your memory goes bad and might even go toward Alzheimer's. So, so man, I, I, I got scared about a month ago, and so I'm, I'm giving those things up. That, that's not easy. So it may be one thing you just need to say, you know what, I'm fasting for sweets from a month just to prove I can do that. I'm fasting from fried food, I, you name it. But it, it may be that you need to call a total fast for a few days where, where you just sustain yourself on water in the Lord. Because what you do when you fast is you are saying, I have mastery over this issue. If you can't give it up, then more than likely it's got mastery over you. I've got a, a close friend who periodically gives up alcohol just to make sure he knows he's got mastery over it. Some of us need to give up some of food to prove we have mastery over it. So here's also the, the idea of fasting. I'm going to refrain from food so that I can pursue God. It's not just about going, I'm not going to eat for the next two days. It's like the time I would put in preparation for meals, going out for meals, I'm going to give it to God. Instead of going out to lunch every day, I've got an hour on my schedule to go somewhere by myself and to pursue God. And that's what keeps us, and maybe it's some pleasure you love. You, you say, I'm giving this up because it's getting mastery over me. I spend a whole lot more time thinking and dreaming about this than I do about God and his kingdom. I'm giving it up for a time so that I can give the time I would have been out there doing this or eating to pursuing God. Can I ask you this? When's the last time you have ever fasted? It's, you just can't read the Bible, I'd like to, and get around it. It's a great biblical discipline. And that brings us to the to last, last point, is you've got to find your satisfaction in God. That, guys, th this is much more than about food. This is about where, what sustains you. Augustine <clears throat> said centuries ago, every one of us has a God-shaped hole in our heart that only God can fill. But here's what we can do, is I can stuff it temporarily with something else. But that's the problem. It's already, it's only temporary. What, what God wants you to do is find out what is truly satisfying, what will truly fill your emptiness, your boredom, your hole in your life, which is Him. So I want to ask you this question as we conclude. Where do you turn for satisfaction? When you're lonely, or bored, or empty, and you're, you're disconcerted within yourself because nothing's going on, what do you turn to? 
The temptation today is food, but it, it could be anything other than God. The goal is for us to turn to God. And I'm telling you what, this is so awesome. A relationship with God is going to be a whole lot more fulfilling than anything you do because it is eternal. It is long-lasting. And yet, let's be honest, in our culture, it's so easy for us to turn because there's so many things right in front of us to turn to. And that's why you've got to be purposeful. So we're about to sing. You know, I've heard every sin, including this sin, confessed on this front row. And so if there's something in your life that you've been turning to other than God to fill you up, and you've been trying to do it on your own, you know, why don't you come today and let the church pray for you? Why don't you let somebody else who struggles with gluttony minister you? Or struggles with alcohol minister to you? Or has got something that's overtaken their life? But we can't help each other, guys, if we don't get honest with each other. So I love this part in our service because here's the moment where we get to be honest and we get to pursue God together. If you need to come, come right now while we stand and sing.